0: The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark.
1: May 27th. 2021. We always like to start with a great historical anniversary, and today we have an earth-shattering event to commemorate. Four years ago, May 27th, 2017, uh, Alex Skeer? Ed Sheeran? No, Andrew Sheer. Andrew Scheer became the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. We're going to be doing a month of special programming to commemorate this landmark anniversary because he is truly a unique figure in the annals of the world. He is the only party leader to be gifted as we say these days, to be gifted with extensive photographic evidence of his political rival capering in black face and indeed black arms, black legs, and who knows what black else appendage, capering in monkey fashion with bananas on multiple occasions. Visually, uh, he's the only political leader to be gifted as we say these days, to be gifted with all this photographic evidence of his political rival in blackface, and yet fail to land a glove on him. Andrew Scheer. A hollow, craven and duplicitous little bugger in my only very slight connection to him. But I try to uh, rise above that to recognise his world historical significance. Aside from the fourth anniversary of the ascent to greatness of Andrew Scheer, uh, this month is also the fourth birthday of the Mark Stein Club. And I thank all of our early birds uh, who've decided to re-up for a fifth year. Uh, Among them is Elizabeth Neville, a first-month founding member from New Jersey, who says love the Stein Club, wouldn't ever be without it. Battle on, Mark. And Jennifer, another first-month founding member, and my fellow Torontonian. Jennifer says... Greetings from your biggest fan. <laughs> I'll try and read this with a straight face. Greetings from your biggest fan at Ryerson University. I do wish that were a more competitive title, Jennifer. Um, aside from the fourth anniversary of the ascent to. Uh, global historical significance of Andrew Scheer and the fourth birthday of the Mark Stein Club. We're also marking the first anniversary of the eruption of the George Floyd riots in Minneapolis. We will have a not unrelated event on today's edition of the 100 Years Ago Show. The big difference between then and now is that the George Floyd ructions quickly spread from Minneapolis around the globe and, in effect, imposed America's very particular racial paradigm on uh, much of the planet, and so it goes a year on to mark the first anniversary of George Floyd's death. The chairman of Britain's National Trust, Tim Parker, resigned the national trust runs all those great country houses castles stately homes that the owners are forced to give to the nation usually to pay off death duties it is a terrible thing when a living breathing family home becomes a museum but if you want fellows who know how to run somebody's home as a museum the national trust are the chaps to do it or were Uh, most of the fellows who used to live there, being men of the 15th, 16th, 17th century, uh, can be a bit problematic for today's tastes. And Mr Parker got a bit too far over his skis on the old systemic racism front, which is why he's now history. Don't worry about him. He's also chairman of the post office and chairman of Her Majesty's Courts and Tribunal Service. He's one of those Tarson people who's on the board of everything. Oh, I see. Look at this. He was also a trustee of the Royal Academy of Music. The best thing, if he's really upset... About all this uh, systemic racism, the best thing he could do uh, for uh, ending it all would be to restrict his own white privilege to just the one chairmanship. Just the one. One at a time. Uh, Speaking of the Royal Academy of Music, they're marking the first anniversary of George Floyd's death by decolonizing their collection of historic instruments. It turns out harpsichords are racist. Who knew? But the Royal Academy of Music has decided to look at its harpsichords through a decolonization lens. If you do not have a decolonization lens installed on your harpsichord, you can get a decolonization lens at Walmart. It's a buck seventy-three tops. The decolonization lenses are made in a lens crafter's factory around the back of the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Um, anyway, apparently a lot of these harpsichords were made with colonialist ivory. Ebony and ivory no longer live together, side by side in perfect harmony on your keyboard. And if you're thinking, man, who cares, I haven't listened to a harpsichord since Handel was touring with the Christie Minstrels. Well, the systemic racism of harpsichords extends not just to Handel, but to Rosemary Clooney...
0: Jimi Hendrix.
1: The the Stranglers. And Tori Amos. Wait for it. Civilizational suicide by mass self moronization. You know where they take harpsichords seriously? China. They take serious music seriously, as you'll know if you've gone to see any half decent American symphony orchestra lately. The Chinese government are murderous thugs, but they're serious totalitarian goons, unlike the know nothing totalitarian goons who afflict us. Oh, speaking of China. Chinaman, Chinaman Friendly neighborhood Chinaman Spins a web round the globe While you're calling JK transphobe Look out, here comes the Chinaman Is he strong? Listen bud He's got Wuhan infusion blood Is he cruel? Ask a Uyghur Global Muslim complaints give They dig, don't mess with the Chinaman In the chill of night, in your best Guarded Labs, it's your copyright, but he's in, and he grabs, China man, China man, Hong Kong's gone up next Taiwan, can he buy anyone, let's ask Mr. Joe Biden's son, too late, turns out the guy you prayed for, already bought and paid for, he's just a China man, okay, okay, that's enough of that. As regular listeners will be aware, our segment on Chinese penetration of the West honors Eric Shagdwell, the California congressman and former presidential candidate who turned his back on the obvious and found himself penetrated by Beijing honey trap Fang Fang.
0: It's Eric Swalwell's Chinese penetration of the day.
1: But deep Chinese penetration is not confined to pliable, biddable politicians. Do you know the name John Cena? He was a badass wrestler, and then, as the years took their toll, he became a good enough actor to get himself small roles in crappy action flicks, and by crap, I mean Fast and Furious 37. Um, Anyway, he was out and about promoting Fast and Furious 52, and he was asked where the movie was opening first, and he said the first country it's opening in is Taiwan. Chairman Xi was furious... And because Hollywood actors know who their boss is these days, John Cena issued an apology in Chinese. Do you like the Fast and Furious films? A lot of so-called conservative guys do because they're just good old all-American action, not like these drippy chick flicks or boring Oscar bait with a lot of Brit twits in them. But there's nothing in the least bit American about Fast and Furious. They're made for young Asian men watching in the vast multiplexes of Wuhan and similar burgs. And the guys who've grown rich appearing in this crap know that. The French used to refer sneeringly to so-called globalisation as American. Americanization, because all this third-rate rubbish was so offensively American to the French. It turns out the Chinese are more sophisticated than the French. They knew ultimately that globalisation would mean signification, as this supposed American icon doing the full kowtow to the chai has just demonstrated. John Cena is as thoroughly penetrated as Eric Shagwell. Don't be a sap, don't be a rube. There's nothing American about this lousy hack franchise. Uh, so if you support Fast and Furious, you're just making the eclipse of America even faster and more furious. And now, from the land where everything is policed except crime...
0: Good evening, all. It's your wanker Copper of the Day.
1: We have some Scots wanker coppers for you today. As you know, Her Britannic Majesty's Wanker Constabularies in the United Kingdom are increasingly useless when it comes to actual crimes such as burglary or grievous bodily harm or child sex slavery. But they do like to while away their bloated budgets, policing your opinions, such as uh, offensive tweets. And if you're saying, oh dear, I would like to see policemen uh, out and about in the community a bit more, well, you'll be glad to hear that Police Scotland one of the most thoroughly wankerised constabularies in the UK, as you can tell from its silly, modish name. Uh, Police Scotland has now expanded its priorities from policing tweets to policing stickers on lampposts. Kirkcaldy Police, that's uh, directly across from Edinburgh, uh, over the other side of the Firth of Forth, or the Fourth or fifth, or whatever it's called, I I do believe. Don't uh, don't uh, Scots listeners don't all uh, stampede club me to a pulp. But I think it's in that general area. Kirkcaldy Police uh, tweeted that quote: "We received a report of controversial stickers having been placed on lamp posts. Should you come across stickers of this nature, please contact ourselves or Fife Council so that their removal can be arranged." Uh, Five councils. Maybe it's the fourth of five. I don't know. Uh, What was this controversial sticker that had so excited Kirkcaldy Police? Well, the sticker said, Women Won't Weeshed. W-H-E-E-S-H-T. Which is some Scottish word meaning to shut up or be silenced. So it means women won't be silenced. Women won't weeshed. Women won't be silenced. And women won't be silenced is apparently a controversial sticker to the characteristically misogynist, old school wanker coppers of Police Scotland who've had it with the bonny lasses getting a bit lippy and asserting that any wee hen has a right to be heard when you're just scunnered from their pelters and are face down in a vat of fried Mars bars. Oh no, wait, sorry, my mistake. It's something to do with transphobia, as what isn't these days. Ah yes, women won't weeshed is a transphobic dog whistle uh, to those women who think that being a woman is something to do with having a vagina, whereas at Police Scotland, they're enlightened enough to know that many women, probably most women in Scotland by now, are hung like stallions, are hung like monarchs of the Glen. Uh, So women won't be silenced is uh, controversial because it's code language for what they call TERFs, trans-exclusionary radical feminists, Uh, TERF, T-E-R-F. If you're an American visiting Scotland and the restaurant says Surf and Turf Night, do check with them a to d you could be getting far more than you bargain for. John O'Sullivan, who'll be on this year's Mark Stein Cruise, has said many wise things over the years. But way back in the 90s, he first made the observation that the British police had become the paramilitary wing of the Guardian. They used to be a bit subtle about it, but now the Peelers are ever more openly the enemies of free speech. When they are announcing... That women won't weesh, that saying women won't weesh, women won't be silenced, saying that women won't be silenced is enough to attract the attention of Scottish policemen. We will all weesh if the wanker coppers of Police Scotland get their way.
0: The Mark Stein Show presents Andrew Lawton's Canadian content.
1: the last United Empire Loyalist in Ontario.
0: Thank you, Mark, and a happy belated Victoria Day to you. Victoria Day is a national holiday in Canada, named after the very first monarch of a confederated Canada, Queen Victoria, the great-great-grandmother of the current Queen of Canada, Queen Elizabeth II. With that out of the way, I should tell you that Her Majesty Queen Victoria is not immune to the cancel mob, not in the least. The Toronto District School Board, in fact, wants to rename Queen Victoria Public School, citing her, quote, racist legacy, unquote. The school board's Planning and Priorities Committee, which strikes me as odd for a school board that clearly doesn't have much in the way of real priorities, has advanced a request that supposedly came from the Black Student Success Committee trying to change the school's name. The school board adopted a motion called Renaming Schools Celebrating the Diversity of Toronto, which determined there are too few schools named after Indigenous or Black leaders or leaders of colour, and some schools are in fact named after people with a racist legacy, which has triggered the push to remove Queen Victoria's name from a school that as a public institution is actually owned in right by her direct descendant. Now this is actually a school that has been around since 1887 when Queen Victoria was the current and not the former Queen of Canada. Not a single shred of evidence of Queen Victoria's supposedly racist legacy in that school or in this country has been proposed, but we are nonetheless in an era that by virtue of being alive in a time before now, you are worthy of cancellation. It's unsurprising this is happening in Toronto, a city that right now is doing a massive review of so-called problematic street names and just looking for anything, any street, any park bench, any vestibule that they can strip the name off of because someone's legacy is going to be tarnished by the woke mob. Now, if we go after Queen Victoria, we may in fact have to go after Victoria, British Columbia, or heck, maybe we can just go after British Columbia itself. A group of politicians in British Columbia's Lower Mainland are actually pushing the province to consider changing the province's name, the coat of arms, and the flag, which has on it the Union Jack and the Crown. It is called British Columbia. Its capital is Victoria. Well, all of that's a little bit too colonial for the woke politicians of 2021. Their resolution says that the province should adopt a more inclusive and historically relevant name that would better reflect the diverse population, and it could be considered a reconciliatory action in consultation with local First Nations. Well, which is it you want? Do you want something that is historically relevant, or do you want something that reflects the diverse population? Because you'd actually be hard-pressed to come up with something MORE historically relevant to the Dominion of Canada than something that respects the Crown, and Canada's roots as a part of the British Empire, roots that permeate right through to the government system today. And it was Queen Victoria herself who named the province British Columbia after its initial name of Columbia was given after the Columbia River by explorer Simon Fraser. So yes, no wonder we have to get all those evil Victorian fingerprints off of this province. And one would hope that the leader of Canada's government would stand up for the country's history, although Justin Trudeau has gone the opposite direction. His office was formerly named the Langevin bloc after Sir Hector Louis Langevin, the first Minister of Public Works. But a couple of years back, Justin Trudeau felt he needed to reconcile with the country's indigenous populations, so he stripped away the Langevin bloc and made it the office of the Prime Minister and Privy Council. Well, that's nice and succinct, I guess, right? And I should say about Victoria Day, in Canada it is actually the day on which the current sovereign's birthday is officially celebrated. You would think there might be an acknowledgement of that from Justin Trudeau, but not a single peep. No statement, no proclamation, not even a happy birthday tweet to Her Majesty. Now, I'm not one for virtue signaling statements and tweets from politicians, but I think it's fair to point out the absence of acknowledging what is a significant day in Canada when just 24 hours later, Justin Trudeau issued a statement on Africa Day and another one commemorating the 75th anniversary of Jordan's independence but not a peep for the day recognising Canada's founding monarch. Happy Victoria Day and back to you, Mark. You
1: don't really need me to say anything after that, do you? Let's face it, everything that works in Canada comes from Queen Victoria and those loyal to her. We all know that and we should be able to say it. Upfront, because it's true. And every modification, such as that crappy Trudopian charter of pseudo-rights that exist only at the government's pleasure, have made things worse. And yes, I know my touchy separatist chums in Quebec will gibber at that, but why don't you get off your derriere and object to the quashing of French culture in Canada, to the de-Langevinification of Canada. Langevin means a man from Anjou, which is in France. Why is that suddenly an unacceptable name to put on a building? And as for renaming it, the building where the Prime Minister sits behind his desk all day, or whatever the new name is, that about sums up the creativity of these guys. Why don't they rename Wellington Street, uh, named after that unwoke duke? Why don't they rename Wellington Street uh, the street where all the cars are? Pathetic. Uh, Although, given all the drug cartels uh, operating freely in the Lower Mainland, renaming British Columbia, Columbia does have a certain logic. Uh, The Queen should, by letters patent, remove all royal names from Canada and let the woke fascists perish in the void.
0: Keep up to date with the past on the 100 Years Ago Show with Mark Stein.
1: A massacre in Oklahoma. The Tsarist flag flies in Vladivostok. And Dublin burns. It's May 1921. A hundred years from today. Your World News Update. The messy aftermath of the Great War continues. Following Upper Silesia's vote to be part of Germany rather than Poland, British soldiers, British aeroplanes, British tanks have arrived in the region's capital city, or Belm, in order to keep the peace between the Polish and German communities. How's it going? Well, fighting has broken out in the city of Buten. There are said to be hundreds of casualties. There are a lot of would-be Germans out there. Salzburg province in Austria has voted to join Germany. Both the government in Vienna and the Allied Supreme Council have said the plebiscite is non-binding. One day before the deadline for payment, Berlin has delivered one billion gold marks to the Allied Reparations Commission. In Germany itself, there has finally been a conviction for war crimes by the Kaiser's troops, as required by the Treaty of Versailles. A Leipzig court has convicted a former German army sergeant and sentenced him to jail for ten months. In Soviet Russia, the Communist Party Congress has approved an economic reform plan by Party Secretary Vladimir Ilyich Lenin that will permit limited capitalism for small businesses. The Bolsheviks will, however, retain control of industries such as textiles, transport, leather and salt. The government will finance its plans with a one-third tax on income. And for peasants, a one third tax on the value of their assets. But can the communists retain control of their vast empire? Menshevik soldiers, styling themselves the Kapel troops, in honor of the late Menshevik general Vladimir Kapel, have toppled the Bolshevik government and seized control of the eastern port of Vladivostok. The Mensheviks have also captured the city of Nikolsk, and the Russian imperial flag flies again from government buildings. Meanwhile, there are reports that a Communist Party of Canada has met for the first time in a barn in Ontario. Elsewhere within His Majesty's Dominions, the Irish Republican Army uh, occupied the Custom House in Dublin, headquarters of the local government board for Ireland. The revolutionaries then set the building alight. It is still burning, and hundreds of years of official records are believed to have been destroyed. In propaganda terms, it is a symbolic victory for Republicans. In manpower terms, however, the Royal Irish Conservatory Auxiliaries and soldiers from the Wiltshire Regiment killed five of the revolutionaries and captured another 80. If you've never been vamped by a brown skin, you've never been vamped at all. That's a hugely popular song in New York from Broadway's latest sensation, the brand new all-Negro musical comedy Shuffle Along but a brown skin would be advised to proceed more cautiously elsewhere in America. In Tulsa, Oklahoma, a Negro shine boy en route to the coloured person's washroom at the top of the Drexel building tripped as he entered the elevator and stumbled against the female elevator operator. The young lady was unconcerned, but a witness reported it to the authorities as a sexual assault. The shine boy was taken into custody, the jail was surrounded by hundreds of white men determined to lynch him. The situation escalated to the point that privately owned aeroplanes are now being used to attack Negro property and fire on Negroes from the air. Initial reports suggest that some 26 coloured persons and 10 whites are dead, hundreds more are injured, and the Greenwood district of Tulsa, the wealthiest Negro community in the United States, and known as the Black Wall Street, is ablaze and in ruins. Also in Oklahoma, in Osage County, home of the Osage Indian Nation, local hunters found the decomposing body of a woman deep in a ravine. The authorities have ruled uh, that the death of Anna Brown, an alcoholic divorcee, was an accident. But there are dark rumors that something far more sinister is going on in the county in the air boys wait till you get them up in the air you can make them hug and sweet you too or if they don't just say you won't come down until they do so wait till you get them up in the clouds, boys there won't be anyone to watch you there When you get her way up high, have all the fun you can. There never was a girl who'd fall that far for any man. So wait till you get them up in the air, boy up 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 way up in the air getting up in the air is the easy part getting back down requires more finesse the aviator eddie rickenbacker was attempting a transcontinental flight and en route dropped leaflets of a memorial day address from the head of the american legion up in the air, boy, up, 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 way up in the air. But coming in Cheyenne, he ran into problems and his aeroplane flipped over on a hard landing. Mr. Rickenbacker was very fortunate to survive. No such luck for all seven people aboard a U.S. Army Curtis Eagle ambulance plane. The Tri Motor biplane was making a 140 mile trip from Langley Field near Hampton, Virginia to Bolling Field near Washington when it crashed in Maryland during a ferocious thunderstorm. Five Army officers and two civilians perished. The dead do not include two congressmen and a French diplomat who had been on the outbound flight to Virginia, that three men were taken airsick and chose to decline the return flight. Nevertheless, this is the deadliest airplane accident in America since the age of aviation began. Émile Combe was a transformative prime minister of France for two and a half turbulent years at the beginning of this century, fiercely anti-clerical. He was the driving force behind the law on laïcité, the policy of state secularism. 10,000 Catholic schools closed during this period, and thousands of French priests and nuns fled the country. Monsieur Combe is dead at the age of 85... We assume there will be no funeral mass. And that's the way of the world, May 1921. A hundred years from today, a hundred years from today.
0: Fantastic fiction chosen and read by Mark Stein himself in Stein's Tales for Our Time. Thrillers, mysteries, science fiction, romance, tales that transcend genre, Classics and titles hidden in the upper shelves. Mark Stein Club members can listen to the full catalogue of nearly four dozen tales for our time. Hear them all by going to www.steinonline.com slash tfot
1: Mark's mailbox is, on the air, Yolanda Ford, or mm, possibly Yolande Ford, or possibly Yolande Ford. Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, I hope it's certainly one of those three. Uh, She's a Mark Stein Club member from Victoria, not the racistly named British Columbian capital, but the racistly named Australian state. Uh, I'm in favour of them changing their moniker, too, because in their contemporary incarnations, none of these places are worthy of that great name. Uh, Yolanda Yolande writes, uh, During 2020, I listened to your shows, and they were a saviour to a lockdown soul, among other online contributors. No mainstream media. They have been paid too much in government advertising. To be impartial. I'm wondering if Mark will offer lovely words and mentions of those who have succumbed to the vaccine as well as the virus. Um, Well, Yolanda, Yolande yoland um, yolanda is referring to our last call spot at the end of the show which is our obituary column and at the dawn of the covid last march we retooled it to salute those who'd succumbed to the Chicom 19 because for those first weeks uh nary a day went by without me seeing not necessarily a close friend but a casual acquaintance an occasional colleague uh, in the toll of the dead from the Chinese coronavirus. Uh, Tim Brook Taylor of the goodies, and I'm sorry I haven't a clue, uh, Bucky Pizzarelli, one of my very favorite guitarists, run René- a Claude, a beautiful Quebecois singer, Alan Merrill, who wrote I Love Rock and Roll, put another dime in the jukebox, baby. So we made our last call feature a COVID last call feature because one way you knew a lot of people were dying from this thing is because of a lot, a lot of celebrities were dying uh, from it. And as time went on, we didn't just do celebrities, we also noted Holocaust survivors who'd succumbed to the Wu flu. Spanish flu survivors from the end of the Great War uh, who'd succumbed to the Wu flu, because that seems to me a tough hand Uh, To be dealt by fate. But the main reason we eulogize the known and unknown is because they're all victims of a war crime as the Lord whore of the contemptible Western media are slowly starting to permit to be hinted at in public. Uh, Now that there's a eunuch regime in the White House and nothing's going to be done about it. But Chairman Xi and his Politburo killed these people when they disseminated the CHICOM-19 around the world and then lied about it for months. So we told the names of the COVID dead in order that they shall be avenged. Now, as I said, that was my thinking last March when the obituary pages were full of... Uh, all kinds of COVID victims, but also a lot of acquaintances of mine. And that sort of puttered out. And it didn't putter out because of lockdowns, I don't believe. It puttered out uh, because many of those at risk, the elderly and those with underlying conditions, acted prudently in their own interest. Um, So, for example, the COVID cut a swathe through the jazz world in New Jersey and Louisiana at the end of March and April last year. And then that uh, rapidly diminished once people figured out what was going on. And so our last call returned to a more general obituary column, as it is today, as you'll hear in a couple of minutes. Now, as to whether we should devote entire episodes to those who took the vaccine and died, well, uh, so far, I haven't seen great long lists of notable persons, whether you define them as BBC comedians and uh, great guitarists or African dictators and eminent epidemiologists. I haven't seen a lot of notable people who've been killed by uh, the vaccine. Uh, but I have no ambition in the diseased remnants of the Western media other than to live in truth for what remains in my days. And in a certain sense, those who die from AstraZeneca or Johnson & Johnson are as much the victims of Chairman Xi as those who die from COVID in the ICU. And uh, one can certainly argue uh, that they're victims of a transformation in the role of public health in free societies, um, but as I said, we we, we see now uh, Western governments acting as Chinese poodles. And so ultimately, uh, these people are victims on, of the dominant and increasingly assertive superpower of this post-American world. Uh, at any rate, we take your point and we shall watch the death notices with interest and report accordingly.
0: Mark Stein's Last Calls.
1: Leray Desmond had an enviable career in show business. Indeed, she had about six showbiz careers in one and had been on screen for the entire history of television. She was born in New South Wales in Mittagong, which is just inland from Wollongong, if you're trying to keep your gong straight. And as a little girl, she wanted to be Gracie Fields. When she was 10, the family sailed for England, and by 15, she was a singing cigarette girl. When the BBC restarted its television service after the war, she was on it and hosting shows such as Meet Lorraine and Swing With Lorraine. She was the girl on the Terry Thomas show. I say! Uh, Terry Thomas was one of the biggest British stars on the planet for many years. In fact, in polls of Americans, uh, he was the most recognisable Englishman to them. And Lorraine was by his side on screen... And off for a decade. And then she went back to Oz to host her own variety show and to Vietnam to entertain the Australian troops. (laughs) As an old native born Sydney cider would say, that's Lorraine Desmond modifying the lyric there. She blows the originals in a rhyme, as an old native born Californian would say. Uh, but she does remind the diggers in NAM that she's one of them. She was very proud that when she was made a member of the Order of the British Empire, the citation read, for services to entertainment and the welfare of the Australian forces in Vietnam. She got back to Australia and found that variety shows had died, but she didn't die with them. She was Shirley Gilroy on the blockbuster Aussie soap opera, A Country Practice, Here She and Frank, discover late in the evening that their new bridge partners are swingers. Ah, we're not going to let them put us off, are we, Shirley? Well, I should warn you, Garth, I'm sure is a lot better at it than I am. (laughs) No worries, Shirley, I'm a very experienced player. Right, darling. Mm, Everybody who plays with Garth gets better, Shirley. Right. Ah, hold it, hold it. It's a... It's a little warm in here, I'll Mm. just get comfortable.
0: Oh, I hadn't noticed. I'll open a window. Why don't we all get comfortable? You don't mind, Shirley, do you?
1: Well, it gives a whole new meaning to that BBC show, Swing with Lorraine. But she was having none of it. Do you know what they want to do? They're going, Cheryl. They're going right now. What's with you two? Damn it! I was looking forward to a game of bridge. LeRae played Cheryl for over 800 episodes, which I believe is some sort of Australian record, and the old song and dance skills always came in handy on awards shows. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Entertainment Event of the Year. Live from Melbourne's hyatt Collins. the Australian Television Network currently presents the 31st Annual TV Week Logie Awards. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Lorraine Desmond.
0: You're looking at a lady who has taken home the gold. Excuse me, if I'm blowing my own horn. And I got my little Loki in a loving stranglehold. Before half the cast of Home and Away were born.
1: I gather she wrote her own special material on such nights, and it wasn't bad. All the Ray really wanted to do was write lyrics for musicals, and her popularity as a performer got in the way of that. But she wrote a couple of shows, and they were very credible, and she was a hit to the end, unlike her former love and mentor, Terry Thomas, whose last decade was... Truly pitiful. He was sick and broke and alone. Lorraine Desmond was never a star in America, but she had her moments. Here she is with Jack
0: Benny. But Lorraine, I did enjoy my stay in Australia last summer, and I loved the audiences in Sydney and Melbourne.
1: You were a big hit with them, Jack. And I understand after we finished those two engagements, you were going to do a one-man
0: show in the Aborigine country.
1: The Aborigine country?
0: Yes, that's where they have those wild, primitive tribes, in the outback. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, I was supposed to do a show uh, for those fellows, you see, but I cancelled it when I found out they had me billed as the American hors (laughs) (laughs) d'oeuvre.
1: Dead at the age of 91, a grand old trooper, and for once that word applies, Loray Desmond. I think it's National Sorry Day in Australia round about now, so maybe the Australian government will apologise for Jack Benny's scriptwriters. Do you know Wade in the Water? It's a black spiritual from the 19th century, and some say that it was used on the Underground Railroad to warn escaping slaves to take to the river and prevent dogs picking up the scent. Here's how it was heard a century or so back. <coughs> But sometimes someone hears something quite different in a piece of music. This is Norman Simmons' arrangement of Wade in the Water for Ramsay Lewis. This was a big hit for Ramsey Lewis in the 1960s, a long way from the Underground Railroad. I recall a dolly bird in bikini top and capri pants Plashing in the water on the picture sleeve of this single. Wade in the water, arranged by composer and pianist Norman Simmons, who died this month at the age of 91. will be here on friday tales for our time passing parade hope you'll swing by for some or all of it stay safe stay free
0: join us next time for another edition of the mark Stein show of Markstein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights
1: reserved.